Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Calling all detectives. They say that figures don't lie. And I once had a case where a column of numbers added up to murder. That is the situation on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. When you're a private detective like me, Jerry Browning, you learn that two and two don't always make four. The bank examiners at the Commerce National Bank were having a field day. Mr. Carnot, your cashier's accounts are $327,000 short thus far. Considering that the shortage took place within the past six months, your cashier must have been very busy. Very. Carnot, the bank president, turned red. We are fully insured against any loss. When your audit is completed, you will find me in my office. Come on, Browning. Carnot waved me to a chair. Browning, this is dreadful. Naturally, the bank examiners know their business. If they say Hendrickson's accounts are short, I assume they're right. But to talk that way about a man who's dead, it doesn't seem right. Are you sure your cashier's death was an accident, Mr. Connaught? The bank president nodded wearily. Hendrickson's car blew a tire on Cliff Road, went through the guardrail down to the river. And now I learn that he may have stolen as much as half a million dollars from the bank, all within the past six months. Just what do you want me to do about this, Mr. Connaught? I want you to recover as much as possible of the money Hendrickson stole. And then, Mr. Browning, if possible, I'd like you to find out why he took it. When a bank cashier died in an accident, a shortage of close to half a million dollars was found in his accounts. Milton Weiss is a certified public accountant, a man who has been my friend for years and whose friendship I particularly cherish each year about two weeks before March 15th. Milt is dark, has a face that never looks properly shaved, and wears a perpetually harassed expression. It's too early for your income tax, Jerry. Come back in a month and a half. This is not an income tax matter, Milt. I want to ask you a question, and I'm not kidding. How can a bank cashier, a simple guy, lose half a million dollars in six months? Tom Henderson couldn't, if that's who you're talking about. I stared at him. Mel, sometimes you're almost too smart to be human. Let's go into your private office. Weiss sat down at his desk, grinned at me. Before you ask any questions, Jerry, anything that happens at a big bank is an accountant's business. I know that the Commerce National is under examination, that Tom Hendrickson is dead, and you just told me that half a million is missing. And they say detectives are fast. Look, Milt, this is highly confidential. Exactly what do you know about Tom Hendrickson? Weiss played with a pencil. He dressed well, liked to be seen in good restaurants, drove an expensive car. If his accounts were twenty to 50000 short, he might be an embezzler. 
But half a million? Weiss shook his head. I'd say that Tom was 25000 in debt and that he didn't steal a dime. I looked at the accountant reproachfully. Melt, I'm interested in facts, not guesses about twenty-five grand debts. Weiss got up, paced his tiny office. Jerry, six months are 182 and a half days. To lose half a million in that time, a man must disperse without any return at the rate of almost $2,800 a day, including Sundays. Believe me, it is just about impossible to spend that much without earning money, even accidentally. For a man like Hendrickson, it is completely impossible. I studied the accountant. Milt, you're telling me that Tom Hendrickson was murdered. I'm surprised that you can consider any other possibility. I went back to the bank, laid the facts before its president. Connaught listened quietly, then... Browning, I want you to tell that to Mr. Palmer. Ask Mr. Palmer to come in here, please. Mr. Palmer's our executive vice president. I think he would be interested in hearing this theory of Mr. Weiss, who is an accountant I respect very highly. Palmer was a big, heavy-set man. He listened carefully to what I had to say when I'd finished. A theory of numbers, Mr. Browning, but only a theory. Apart from Hendrickson, only Mr. Connaught, Mr. Jellicoe in the loan department, and I had access to large sums here at the bank. And only Mr. Hendrickson is, shall we say, conveniently dead when shortages were about to be found in his accounts. I suggest that you tell Mr. Weiss to confine his attention to balance sheets. Okay, Mr. Palmer, I'll do that. I might even have him prepare a balance sheet on you. That wasn't smart. And I knew that in the morning I'd have a letter from the bank telling me that my services were no longer required. But until that happened, it was still my case. At the police garage, the technician straightened up, wiped his hands. You know, Browning, you've hit on something. Hendrickson's tire didn't blow, it exploded. The tube went first and then the outer case. And the inside of that tube is blackened with gunpowder stains. This is a case for the Homicide Bureau. But I didn't go to the Homicide Bureau. I went back to the bank. I asked to see Mr. Jellicoe, who was in charge of the loan department. He blinked and looked sorrowful when I pushed my application blank for a loan toward him. Oh, dear me, I'm so sorry, Mr. Browning, but we simply can't grant you a loan. No stable income, no collateral, no co-signers. I leaned across the desk. Mr. Jellicoe, I know where I can get money for years to come. I know that there was gunpowder inside the tube when Hendrickson's tire blew. Jellicoe smiled at me. Obviously, Mr. Browning, you are a man of great sagacity, and as such, you warrant a loan of, uh, shall we say, $5,000. I clamped the handcuffs over his wrists a second after he signed the loan application. But when I got him to police headquarters, of course I approved Mr. Browning's loan request. I considered him good for $5,000 on what I assumed was his integrity. I seem to have been mistaken. Uh, what is the maximum one can sue for, uh... False arrest. I turned to Milt Weiss, who'd been sitting by quietly. Milt, you got me into this. Now help me out. You don't need help, Jerry. You figured it out for yourself. That a man may not be able to spend 2800 a day, but it's easy for him to give it away. I grinned, looked at the bank president and vice president. Gentlemen, I want a complete check on every loan Mr. Jellicoe has granted in the past six months. That did it, of course. Jellicoe had made a group of bad loans on signature alone. About $75,000 worth to friends. 
Then to recover his losses, he made other loans, on which he collected a private bonus. Except he couldn't collect the principal amounts due, and in about six months he had close to half a million in worthless paper. That's when he got the idea of wiping out the debt by doctoring the cashier's accounts, who, by the way, was in debt to relatives. Jellicoe figured that a man who was in debt would certainly be considered an embezzler, and the rest was easy. Some changes in entries, a small wiring job on Hendrickson's car, and the stage was set for murder and the squaring of all accounts. Like I said, a smart crook can do tricks with numbers. But one thing he can't do is erase the figures when his own number is up. 